Last week, cryptocurrencies and meme stocks and movies with returning guest star Jim Surowiecki. Did you get a chance to listen, especially to our podcast ending game of Buy, Sell, or Hold? The week before, Mental Tips, Tricks, and Life Hacks, Volume 8. Micro-journaling was one example. Ralph Waldo Emerson's story, Diaries, and Journals contained this entry, for example, in its entirety, January 17th, 1829. My weight is 144 pounds. You don't have to make journaling a chore. And the week before that, a big theme for this month, what you've done to create some financial freedom. It was the week of July 4th, of course, here in the U.S., and we talked independence, financial independence on this podcast. And now the way we close out every month, as we've consistently been doing now, entering our ninth year of Rule Breaker Investing, is your mailbag. Final Wednesday of the month, we're going to talk more financial freedom tips. We're going to give a shout out to North Dakota. And we're going to go in-depth on your sleep number with some great notes and stories. As usual, thanks for joining me here at the height of summer, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I like to start each mailbag episode with some hot takes from Twitter. Here are a few from the month that has been at Jummy underscore Bear. Jummy, thank you for this note. What a perfect way to celebrate Independence Day. Thank you so much for sharing your inspiring stories. And that's, of course, written, this is through Twitter, but this is written to all of those who shared their stories. We featured a bunch on the first podcast of the month as Different people told different stories about what financial freedom meant to them and how they created it for themselves and or for others. Jummy goes on, I've learned a lot, may even borrow a few foolish moves. I've listened twice already, a truly inspiring episode, a lot of thoughtful stories about financial independence, made it to my list as one of 2023's besties. At David G. Fool, let's really make it an episodic series. And I agree, Jum, I think we're going to do that. I think the week of July 4th, every year is a wonderful time for people who are not just from America, of course, but all around the world writing in and sharing their stories of creating a little bit more financial freedom in the year that has been. So I really enjoyed that episode. And yes, I think it's the start of something beautiful. Thank you. Next one up, Mark at MXJ61. Hi, David. Thanks so much for mentioning me in Creating Financial Freedom. Yep, it was one of Mark's stories that I read. The bag of rice was metaphorical as we don't eat rice. And he has a laughter emoji there, but we did skimp and save, so I didn't need to sell stocks all year to finance our retirement. Well, thank you for writing in, Mark. Yeah, it was an expression, I guess. And I said, you might be from Australia. It might be an Australian expression. I'm not quite sure. But you said pretty much in order to live through a bear market and not have to sell your stocks in retirement, all you did is eat a bag of rice the whole year. I think I said at the time on that podcast, I think that's metaphorical. Thank you for confirming that it was not, in fact, what you did. Probably not the best, healthiest approach to eating, but a very healthy approach to your finances. I'm so glad that you made it through a tough market, Mark, and thank you for sharing your story. And the last Twitter hot take at Gary Carr. Gary, you just said, reacting to last week's podcast, please do more buy, sell, or hold. Love that game. Well, I'm excited to announce that, of course, next week we'll be opening up authors in August in Rule Breaker Investing every year. 
each of the weeks of August dedicated to a different author, someone whose book I've read, I've always read them, and someone whose work I admire and want to share out with you. In many cases, you all have read these books before I did. You suggested to me, Jason Moore, that I read Love Your Enemies by Arthur Brooks. I did. I loved it. And Arthur Brooks will be with us in August. Next week, I want to mention our first book up. It's called American Ramble. It's by author Neil King. Neil King, in his early 60s, having lived through a cancer diagnosis, decides after a long and successful career as a journalist, especially at the Wall Street Journal, that he's going to walk outside the front door of his house Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C., and he's going to keep walking to New York City. And he tells the story of his about a month-long ramble, literally walking every step from Washington, D.C. to New York City. And while the focus might be on those two iconic cities, of course, so much of Neil's ramble are the towns, the small towns, the rural areas that he visits in between Washington and Philadelphia and New York, and it is an absolute home run of a book. I really love American Ramble. It was featured on the CBS Sunday Morning Show just a couple of weeks ago, earlier this month. It's just out, and Neil King is with you and with me next week for American Ramble on Rule Breaker Investing's Authors in August. And why am I mentioning this in conjunction with Gary Carr's tweet? Well, Gary, I've decided I love buy, sell, and hold so much, too. We're going to do it all August long. So expect every one of the authors that I speak to, we're going to play buy, sell, or hold at some point, probably toward the end of that interview. So you're, you're going to be getting your fill if you're a buy, sell, or hold fan. I am too of that game as part, of course, of author interviews. We'll mostly be focusing on their books, but it is interesting hearing well-known, interesting people who have written great books opine if, let's say, outer space exploration were a stock, buy, sell, or hold. How would they answer? That's what Jim Surowiecki did last week. We'll have a motley array of topics in the month ahead. Let me mention that at the end of this week's podcast, I will list out the books and the order in which they'll appear next month on Authors in August. I've already mentioned some of these here and there, so some of you, I hope, have been able to get started reading. It's our book club. I mean, Oprah does this every single month and has done it for years and probably very lucratively for us. We just do it one month a year. I hope you're reading all throughout the year, but in particular, focusing on these books each year. This is the sixth year of Authors in August, and it's just been a fantastic way to end each summer. So again, looking forward to that, and I will give my list at the end of this week's podcast. All right, on to the Rule Breaker Investing Mailbag for the month of July 2023. I see eight items ahead of us. Let's get started. The first one is from Sam Stevens. Now, Sam, Sam is a former Motley Fool intern who's now, of course, an adult. And I think he works in the financial world. I know one thing for sure about Sam. He wrote into the podcast a few years ago and said there's a better way to end market cap game shows than just having a tie at the end. And we instituted his suggestion as the Stevens sudden death rule, which has since just simply morphed into the equivalent of the daily double. So if you heard this past quarter's market cap game show, you know that twice out of the 10 stocks we discuss each quarter on that game show, twice we have... My players not just react to each other, but both have to make their best guess in a daily double kind of format. And Sam Stevens is the reason we're doing that. Sam, you wrote in with mailbag item number one. This has nothing to do with the market cap game show. You modestly refuse to mention that you are the progenitor of that feature. Sam, you just wrote, hi, David. I'm definitely a buy on buy, sell, or hold as a game on the Rule Breaker Investing podcast. And you go on to say, and I think C.T. Nguyen would argue it meets the definition of a game. And you're 
remembering one of my favorite podcasts of this year for Rule Breaker Investing, and it was with games philosopher C.T. Nguyen earlier this year. I think it's a bestie for 2023. We need to get to the end of the year before we know what the 10 best were, but that was such a fun conversation, and thank you for alluding to it right there in your notes, Sam. I also want to buy the ability of, or perhaps a combination of, artificial intelligences, Sam goes on, to listen to all past games of buy, sell, or hold, and if not actually score them, summarize them in a list without too much trouble. On that thread, I imagine AIs could similarly summarize and score historical stock picks of financial pundits on CNBC. Fool on Sam Stevens. Well, Sam, you know you're barking up the right tree here on this podcast because you've just touched on a couple of things I'm passionate about. One of them is that I do think it would be pretty cool to have AIs go back and listen to all of our past Motley Fool radio show buy, sell, or hold games, ones we've played ever since on Motley Fool Money and certainly Rule Breaker Investing. What really blows me away when we talk about artificial intelligence is, and I'm thinking, of course, of ChatGPT, which I use every day. I know there are lots of others. I'm just staying focused on that one for now. I'm just blown away by how instant the response is. You can type in something really long or copy and paste something really long and ask for perspective or a summary of it. And within about a second and a half, the artificial intelligence has already digested whatever you've put in and is giving you back some consideration or summary thereof. It is truly remarkable. And yeah, I'm not sure the highest use, Sam, of Artificial intelligence would be to summarize all past buy, sell, or hold games, but I think it would be awesome. And then you also mentioned the idea of maybe, let's say, going back over footage from CNBC. One of the things I've railed against in the past is when people make predictions on financial cable television and never are held accountable by themselves, which is how it should be. It should start with ourselves always, but or by the network or by anybody else. It seems as if you can just make free incorrect predictions all you like on financial television, people won't really remember, and they might just come back the next night and ask you to make more predictions. I'm not sure that leads to successful investing. I certainly don't think it leads to a better world. I do think artificial intelligence could be run back over all kinds of video footage on YouTube or CNBC or anywhere. And this isn't just speaking to stocks. This is speaking to all predictions and uh, summarize and score things that the people at the time probably meant to be scored, but never got a chance to score or never wanted to be scored. I think more scoring, more gamifying, especially of predictions being made, in this case, in, in the financial world, is a better, smarter world. I do believe that that's the one we're moving into. Thank you, Sam. All right, on to Rule Breaker mailbag item number two. And in fact, the next two items are both reacting to our Financial Freedom podcast earlier this month. These are two different perspectives from two different fellow fools who were helping answer the question in their own lives. I'm sharing out their stories or perspectives so that you might be able to take something away from it yourself and increase financial freedom for you or for someone else. The first is from Brian Harris, Rule Breaker Mailbag Item number 2. David, I'm not a, in quotes, details guy. Over and over again, Brian writes, I've tried and I've failed to nugent our spending Line by line, I have tried everything, and each time I've come up wanting. I'm a small business owner and real estate investor. I have income coming in from multiple sources. The thing I did was to have all of my various income streams flow into a single savings account. I then set myself up a monthly 
disbursement from that savings account into my primary checking account. If I am able to make it to the end of the month on just that one disbursement, which is predetermined to an acceptable family spending amount, Brian continues, I know I'm on the right path financially. This has allowed me the freedom to know where we stand as a family on the financial side without having to monitor every line item. Couple this with a biannual deep dive to weed out any unnecessary spending. And for the first time, Brian concludes, I feel like we are on the right path and in control of our finances. Maybe this should be called budgeting in buckets, full on Brian Harris. Well, I can easily imagine Brian and many others listening. If you are a real estate investor, you've got multiple properties or multiple sources streaming you cash flow, probably coming in at different intervals, different times. It can be awfully simplifying to have those all sent one direction. And speaking of simplifying further, Brian, if you just, from that source account, if you just disburse the amount you intend to spend in a month, share it out with family and make that happen. And we hope coming in under that amount in a given month and not needing to go back to the well, I do think that that is a very lovely and simple way to run one's financial life. Not everybody needs to budget. Not everybody's ever going to budget. But the more we can simplify our financial lives, I think the better off we are. One thing I'd like to note is that Brian is a small business owner and real estate investor. I think a lot of us think of those things as not just admirable, but probably somebody who's more of a financial sophisticate compared to many others of us. And so when even Brian, who is both a small business owner and real estate investor, is just trying to track his spending from one month to the next at a family level. You can see how human that is and how we are all connected. You can, for example, hear about somebody who created an amazing company but might be surprised how they're conducting their personal life or how complicated things might be often for very successful people. In this case, we have a successful person with a smart approach, kind of a systems approach. And Brian, you put me in mind of James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. James, a past guest, I don't think he was authors in August, but he was certainly an author on this podcast a few years ago. And I was just seeing this great quote from his book, Atomic Habits, just the other day, and I'm going to share it with you. He says, success is not a goal to reach or a finish line to cross. It is a system to improve, an endless process to refine. James goes on in his book. In chapter one, I said, quote, if you're having trouble changing your habits, the problem isn't you. The problem is your system. Bad habits repeat themselves again and again, not because you don't want to change, but because you have the wrong system for change, end quote. And so it's a reminder to all of us, I think, that one of the best paths to success is just to build a system around yourself that will enable you to succeed. Again, I highly recommend Atomic Habits to anybody who hasn't read it. But Brian, what you've just described is essentially building a system, and that is much more likely to lead to successful spending habits and family finances. So congratulations on that step toward financial freedom. Thank you for sharing. And let's move on to rule breaker mailbag item number three. This one from sometime correspondent, always a pleasure to hear from him again, Dave Geck. David writes, here's one thing we have done to create more financial freedom for ourselves or others. My wife and I decided to fund accounts for our grandchildren. We decided that when they reached the sixth grade, 
we would start them off with $1,000 and give $500 more per year until their senior year for a total of $4,000. They pick 10 companies and then each year can add to their 10 or add additional companies. Dave goes on, we did not delude ourselves into thinking at such a young age they would become enamored with the prospects of investing. I did make them fill out a chart showing how much $1,000 would grow at various rates of interest and time. They all enjoyed the homework and were impressed by how time and a little bit better interest rate really changed the amount, but of course, could not internalize that someday my grandchildren would be in their 60s. Concluding here, Dave writes, I will consider it success if 10 years from now as we make the last installment, I'm still alive and have my faculties. Hopefully it will give me the chance to light a spark of enthusiasm for saving and investing in at least two of them. Already I see flickers of interest. It is already successful for me as I'm having fun doing it. And Dave, I really appreciate you sharing that approach with your grandchildren. Yeah, sixth grade sounds like $1,000 to each of the children. That's something to look forward to if you're 10 years old and getting near getting to that 11th or 12th birthday in sixth grade and you get $1,000 from your grandparents. It sounds like you and your wife are having them pick 10 stocks, so $100 in each of 10 stocks, and then $500 more per year until their senior year of high school. Different people can work with different amounts and or different intervals or number of stocks. That's the way Dave has set up the game. But what he's showing us, once again, is, in James Clear's words, a system. He's basically built a system that all of his grandchildren can run through. It involves some coaching and interaction with their grandfather and some fun picking the companies and following and learning from them. Not everybody is expected to be passionate about this. And I think most 10-year-olds yeah, don't foresee being 60 and the idea of owning stocks and the importance of compounding would not be clear to them without some enlightened grandparents in many cases, enlightened grandparents or other mentors. Anyway, Dave, thank you very much for sharing that. I acknowledge it. It's already a success because you're having fun doing it. I do hope and trust you will be around 10 years from now, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about your experiment, your system. Congratulations for helping some young people toward financial freedom. And as we glide into Rule Breaker Investing Mailbag, item number four, Dave Geck is mentioned once again because, Dave, a couple of months ago, you mentioned on the podcast that you'd visited most of the states of America with a couple of exceptions, one of which was North Dakota. And as I read that mailbag item, I predicted, at least in my head, I may have said it on air, that we might get some responses. Now, whether the official Chamber of Commerce of the state of North Dakota is listening to this podcast or would want to respond, I, I couldn't have said. And indeed, to my knowledge, it has not. However, Spencer Garin, a fellow fool, I've not met Spencer before, but this is his mailbag item. Spencer's taking the time to write in. So this speaks to our previous correspondent, Dave Geck, but not talking about building a stock market game for your grandkids. No, this is about North Dakota. Dave said in so many words, at a more advanced age, Dave said he didn't see much reason ever to go to North Dakota or to be buried there. Here comes Spencer Guerin. Although I can certainly think of worse places to be buried, he may not want to wait that long or he will miss, and here's a list of four reasons to go to North Dakota. Number one, the wood chipper exhibit in the Fargo Visitor Welcome Center. 
whether a Coen Brothers fan or not, Spencer writes, you have to appreciate the town's sense of humor. A great reference to, of course, the movie Fargo. Number two, Spencer says, you wouldn't want to miss a 40-foot sculpture of a Holstein cow and the opportunity to wonder why it exists. Spencer's words. Number three, the impressively large and somewhat magical collection of scrap metal sculptures along the 30-mile stretch known as the Enchanted Highway. And finally, number four, lots and lots of big sky country. It really is a beautiful place. Spencer concludes, just don't go in the winter and make sure you have a full tank of gas before you leave any actual populated town? Fool on, Spencer Guerin. Well, fool on to you, Spencer. Thank you. On a side note, I'll have to say I've not yet been to North Dakota. It does border Minnesota. I'm a lifetime Minnesota Twins baseball fan. There are a lot of Twins fans in North Dakota. By the way, on a baseball note, the Minnesota Twins have been the hottest team in baseball. Check it. Since the All-Star break, and yet remarkably, the Twins, were they in the American League East, as I do this podcast, the Twins would literally be First place in the AL Central, the Twins would be in the cellar. They would be in last place in the American League East 10 games out. North Dakota, I see its nicknames the Peace Garden State, Rough Rider State, Flicker Tail State, and Heaven on Earth. The motto, Liberty and Union, now and forever, one and inseparable. Well, I vote for those sentiments. Thank you, North Dakota. All right. Well, the next two Rule Breaker mailbag items, numbers numbers five and six, are both about your sleep number. And I think a lot of regular listeners and Rule Breaker members over the years will know exactly what I mean when I talk about sleep number. But there are new listeners every week, and I certainly don't want to assume everybody knows what we're talking about. And we're about to do a deeper dive here. So let's be clear on our terms. Sleep number has been made popular by the company that is now called Sleep Number. In fact, Select Comfort renamed itself Sleep Number because of its catchy marketing around its best-selling mattresses where you can dial the firmness. I think it's 1 to 100, maybe 0 to 100, depending on which side of the bed you're on, which means a couple of people, spouses, or partners who sleep together, you can actually have a much firmer or softer mattress than the person on the other side of the bed. That's Sleep Number. I think many of us are familiar with that brand and that product. But I co-opted the phrase because I think it's so applicable to how we think about the portfolios that we manage. And that's at the heart of rule breaker investing. That's the, at the heart of investing. Even people who don't break the rules uh, have portfolios if they're investors. And, and a few years ago, I decided this is the right concept to teach people managing their portfolios. Specifically, what is the percentage that you would allow the single biggest holding in your portfolio to occupy of your overall allocation. So if there's 100% of a pie that's your net worth, what is the largest you'd let a slice get of a single stock or single investment before you started feeling uneasy, before you started losing sleep at night? So your sleep number, for example, if it's nine, that means you would not be comfortable. You would start losing sleep if you ever let one of your stocks, a single investment, become 9% or more of your overall holdings. And we've talked about this extensively in the past on this show. You can certainly Google it and read more about it. Most mutual funds have sleep numbers around one because they're so diversified with hundreds of stocks 
Very few stocks are much more than 1% of that fund. Some people will allow a single stock, or if you're looking at your overall net worth and you're a small business person, it might be the majority of your net worth is tied up in one thing, one business, maybe yours. And so your sleep number is much higher. Whether or not you want it to be, uh, it is in many cases. So just being conscious and self-aware of what is appropriate for your own situation and what feels right. We all have different risk tolerances. We have different time horizons. So we all have different sleep numbers. And I think for a lot of people, it's very helpful for them to articulate it to themselves to know what is that number that you would let a stock get up to of your overall allocation without going over that. And what about if you have a spouse or partner and you're managing something together or that portfolio is for you both? Do you both agree on that? Have you discussed that? Does your broker or financial planner share the same approach? Are they aligned with what you consider to be your sleep number? So both of the next two items are speaking directly to this, but with nuance. So I've just given you kind of the straight up chapter and verse of what we mean in a rule breaker investing context when we talk about sleep number. Both of my next talented correspondents are going to be sharing different angles that provide, as I mentioned, additional nuance, help you think a little bit deeper about this and progress all of our thinking from base level to a little bit more advanced level. So, Robert Scuya, let's go to yours next for Rule Breaker Investing Mailbag item number five. Dave, Robert here. You answered a couple questions in the past, including a question on inflation back when it was still in the, quotes, transitory stage when I just asked you to talk about it and not give so much a question as just a, in quotes, penny for your thoughts. Well, I do remember doing that, and thanks for asking, Robert, on an older podcast. This is a similar question where I would like your thoughts as well on how I could do better in my thinking and investing. Just as no one really knows how they are going to react during a large downturn until actually living through it, I believe the same is true of a sleep number. I used to just say it was 15 and leave it at that, until I actually started getting some larger holdings, Robert writes. I've realized mine is much smaller than 15, probably around 7 to 10. I can't give you a good number, though, because I've discovered it depends on the stock. My biggest holding is Costco. I bought it nearly 20 years ago, and it is well more than a 10-bagger. For newer investors, that means it's gone up 10 times, well more than 10 times in value for Senor Scuya. Continuing on, I feel very comfortable letting that one get large as it's taken years to get that big and isn't trading at too much of a premium. However, I have sold partial positions twice in the last couple of years in the first case, Shopify. At one point, it was over a 20-bagger in my portfolio and I sold 10% of it. I still hold 90%, and looking at it now, it's about a nine-bagger or so, less than half of what it once was. In hindsight, I think this was a good move. I made some money, which was reinvested elsewhere, but still own the stock. And Robert is, of course, referencing that Shopify, which has had a better year this year, is still well down from its earlier highs. Anyway, picking it up right there in his note, the other stock that I sold a partial position in more recently was NVIDIA. I actually sold a large stake, about 40%. This was an 11-bagger, but even the fools on your services think it's overvalued. I don't think it's a trillion-dollar company, so I trimmed a large portion but still hold shares. 
In both cases, my sleep number was exceeded. Even though in NVIDIA's case, it's still smaller than my Costco stock. So I think a sleep number varies depending on the stock. A large position in a large stable company should have a higher sleep number than a younger company like Shopify or an overvalued one, Robert says, like NVIDIA. However, so much of what I just said goes against rule breaker principles. I'm selling my winners and talking about, in quotes, overvalued stocks. What could I be doing better while still sleeping well at night? Thank you, Robert Scuya. Well, first of all, I'm mainly sharing this, Robert, because I think you've done a great job highlighting next-level thinking around sleep numbers. Of course, I like to go with the chapter and verse and the basics of it first, and that's what I do in a lot of my writing and, and my thinking. But once you have a rule, I'm not saying you should right away go out and break it, but once you have a rule, you should live into it for a while and see whether you're learning something that changes. It might change the rule or change the game. And I think what you've pointed to here for you is that not all stocks are created equal. As you said in your note, it depends on the stock. A sleep number varies depending on the stock. And I think we'd also say maybe depending on the person. Because if you've gotten to know a company like Costco really well, presuming that you've probably bought from Costco for a couple of decades, you said you've held the stock anyway for a couple of decades. So that means you have a much deeper association and knowledge about that company than if some other stock, a younger company perhaps, or a company you just didn't know nearly as well, if that occupied the same large slice of your overall pie. And so I think it is right to say that we should ultimately size our sleep number based on the stocks themselves. How comfortable are we owning that much of this one versus that one? So I do like the objective overall sleep number approach, but I'm here to say your thinking is excellent. And that's why I wanted to share it through this podcast. And probably when I write this down at some point, at some point, I think I'm going to write another book. Uh, this will be the kind of thing I like to talk about, go a little bit deeper into some of the things that we've talked at more of a surface level. I mean, I think it's appropriate podcasts being more of an oral medium. We're not going to do big, deep dives as people jog around or drive their cars and listen to this podcast. But I think books are more appropriate for that. Anyway, I, I really appreciate the nuanced thinking. I don't think that this goes against rule breaker principles. In fact, I think you've deepened it, at least in your own case. And that's why I wanted to share it out. So I think your thinking is sound. I want to mention before we go on to the next sleep number mailbag item that Robert signed his note, Robert Scuya from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He wrote in quotes, I know you have roots here, so figured I'd include that. Well, thank you, Robert. Yes, Lancaster, Pennsylvania is one half of my family, the home base, and has been for decades. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time in Lancaster and central Pennsylvania. And I'm partly underlining that because my guest next week, Neil King, in his amazing book, American Ramble, spends very meaningful moments in York, Pennsylvania and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. No spoilers here, but I would describe those which appear in the middle of the book as sort of the centerpiece of his entire book. We'll hear Neil's own take on it next week. But if you live in or around central Pennsylvania, Lancaster, York, thereabouts, I really think you're going to appreciate American Ramble and how Neil talks about your hood, its history, and where it is today. So Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 
Yes, I think of my family. I also think now of next week's guest. Anyway, thank you, Robert. All right, on to mailbag item number six. This one from Max Carr. Thank you, Max. Hi, David. Thank you for consistently bringing an element of fun and deep thinking to myself and fellow listeners once a week. You always have a way to stir up new thoughts and ideas that stick with me. I'm writing with a trick I use to help sleep at night, hoping that others may also benefit from this or to stir up any thoughts or disagreements. I will also add, Max writes, that for me, it's a fun way to gain a wider understanding of many businesses while, again, helping me sleep at night. So to get into it, I'm talking sleep numbers. I've always thought of my sleep number as pretty high, but about two or three years ago, I was thinking more into the sleep number and decided that for me, my sleep number was different depending on the company. Different companies have different profiles. I understand different businesses better than others, even if I own both. And ultimately, I do not have one fixed sleep number that applies to every company I own. I like to assign a different sleep number, which can change over time to each of the companies I own. And he goes on in this note to lay out his whole system with his spreadsheet, and that wouldn't be the best reading on a podcast. So let me just briefly opine a little bit and share a little bit of thinking before I go to the end of Max's notes. So Max, you have also lighted upon the same truth, the same viewpoint as Robert, our previous correspondent. Uh, You've taken a slightly different nuance here, though, because Robert thinks of it more generally as different sleep numbers for different companies based on your knowledge and confidence in that company. But you and the, the part of the note I'm not reading, you are actively applying a single number to every stock up and down your portfolio, and you have a process by which you might tweak that from time to time. So the reason I wanted to share this is because many people take many different approaches to investing. Certainly, with The Motley Fool now in its 30th year, we have some people who, from a psychographic level, we could term stock jocks. These are people who really love following the markets. It doesn't mean they're actively trading or not, although I think they tend to trade more so. But it really just means they're avid. They love this. And you're a good example of this, Max. I don't think you're a trader at all, but you are somebody who is regularly looking up and down his portfolio and cogitating about it and re-ranking it. And Elsewhere in your note, you talk about the importance of tracking versus the S&P 500, each of your positions, and indeed at multiple accounts. So this is somebody who is very deeply engrossed in investing and loves it. And I'm certainly much more like that myself than not. We've also learned over the decades at The Motley Fool that the majority of people are not so-called stock jocks. The majority of people, well, actually, the majority of people don't even own stocks. But of those who do, Many are not as active. They check their accounts once a month or so, or maybe their 401k statement when it comes in, yeah, quarterly in some cases. And so it's just as important, their financial freedom to them as to others, but their own approach is just more hands-off, maybe more qualitative, less quantitative. And I, I would describe that as a larger group worldwide than people who are really avid. Uh, so it's fun to present the case of Max Carr, because Max, you're somebody with lots of different accounts, multiple Excel spreadsheets. You love tracking this stuff, and you have your own individual sleep number for each company. That's the nuance I wanted to highlight here with mailbag item number six. I also want to point out one other thing about Max's note. 
He talks elsewhere in the note about having multiple accounts, one of which is his fun account. Now, I know a lot of Motley Fool members, a lot of people I've met at book signings and investment clubs over the years, and they have multiple accounts themselves. And often they've got their fun money. They've got their fun account. And you're one such, Max. And you point out that your sleep number within that context, you allow to be larger in your fun account than you might if you were investing something for a parent or more conservatively for um, a dedicated reason. Like maybe you're trying to get to a down payment on a house and you don't want to take big risks and miss the house. So it's also true that sleep numbers don't just depend on the stocks that you hold and your confidence in them, but also sometimes in the accounts that you're managing. Different ones might have different sleep numbers. In fact, you close your note, Max, by saying, let me end by telling you my fun account was hammered during the 2021 and 2022 market, down 30%, 50%, 60%. Well, hey, Max goes on, at least I didn't just spend it all and saved some. And I'm pausing it there to say I omitted a part of his note where he mentions how he funds his fun account. And it's basically money that he would have spent otherwise. But he's decided, as a prudent, capital F, foolish investor, not to overspend his means. He's decided to take some of the money he would have spent and instead put it in an account and have extra fun with it. So even if you think of it that way, even if you're down 50% on that account, you still have 50% more than you were probably going to have started with. But Max goes on from there to say, at least I didn't just spend it all. I saved some and that really helped me sleep at night. I never felt the panic. And as a result, I didn't sell anything. In fact, I found myself having fun with it, adding to the account where I could and scooping up more shares of different companies that felt like opportunist purchases. And what do you know, Max concludes, the magical markets have brought the portfolio back. Again, thank you for the weekly podcast. We look forward to them. Best regards, Max Carr. So there in conclusion, you have more additional thinking around sleep numbers. And I think it's such an important concept because we all like or don't like different investments, this one or that one. And we all have different habits as investors. But one thing we're all doing is we're building portfolios. I have a list of six principles upon which I think rule breaker portfolios should be built. And one of them is certainly number four, I think, is know your sleep number. So it comes straight from that work of mine as I hear you talking about this phrase and get multiple notes in about how this helps you. I think it helps all of us invest in a way that we can sleep at night, which is right there in the phrase itself. All right, on to rule breaker mailbag item number seven. And when I talk about stock jocks, I think we're about to hear from another one of them. This is a really fun note. Thank you, Federico. Hi, David. First, thank you and Tom and the whole Motley Fool team for the invaluable knowledge you share. The Motley Fool opened a whole new world to me, gave me the confidence to invest, which is now such an important part of my life. You can't imagine. I'm Federico Nigra. I'm taking that to be an Italian name. Federico, 36 years of age, writing to you from across the Atlantic and a full heavy user. Motley Fool Books, Motley Fool Podcasts, Motley Fool Recommendations, Motley Fool Live. My Gardner Kretzmann continuum number is 1.38. My sleep number is unknown. I guess it'll depend, Federico writes, on the conviction of that outlier. Time horizon, 40-plus years. After all, coming from a 36-year-old gentleman, that makes a lot of sense to me, Federico. Risk tolerance, still figuring that out. But I think on the higher side, I'm realizing it's the FOMO 
the fear of missing out that leaves me anxious, tending to overbuy when the market drops. Well, Federico is highlighting two things that have helped him as an investor and a very avid investor at that toward financial freedom. My number one decision toward financial freedom has been the discipline to invest every single month, no exceptions. As Jocko Willink says, discipline equals freedom. So true in so many fields. Jocko Willink, author, podcaster, Navy SEAL, one of his watchwords, discipline equals freedom. Federico adds, I save and invest 10% of my salary monthly. Another thing he references, I'm not going to read it out in full, but he looks carefully at the cash percent of his portfolio. And especially in bear market times, he loves that number to be high because it means he has cash on the sidelines to invest in. So for, for my own part, and this is David speaking, not Federico, I tend to just keep invested whole hog all the way through. But some people like to tweak their cash percentage. And for them, again, a little bit more of an avid investor, more active approach, uh, that can be a very important number. The second thing toward financial freedom, Federico, you manage is the importance of tracking. Quote, I'm slightly obsessed with tracking. Federico says, my exercise, my sleep, and yeah, naturally my portfolio. By the way, I'm the same way on all those things, Federico. The number one tool I use is the tracking tool that we've once mentioned before in the show by Brian Withers. It's amazing. But using any tool like this led me to decisions that will enhance my financial freedom, such as tracking my cash percent, journaling stocks on my watch list, allocating a bit more to ETFs, especially when their performance is beating my picks out, and an awareness of asset allocation by market cap, a phrase, of course, near and dear to this show. Since we're talking about tracking and keeping score, Federico concludes, let me point out in January, you said on your podcast that we're at the tail end of the bear market. It didn't change my strategy because I invest every month after all, but it gave me a renewed confidence and tranquility. You were right, but who's tracking anyways? Have a nice one. Cheers, Federico Nigra. Well, thank you very much, Federico, for this note. I absolutely appreciate your number one rule, which is always be investing. ABI, the discipline to invest every single month. Discipline equals freedom. By the way, being mechanical is a lot easier than not. When you're having to change your processes or change your amounts or change your mentality on the fly, humans aren't always good at making those decisions anyway, and it takes a lot more time and energy. So I really appreciate the simple approach basically dollar cost averaging into the best investments that we know of over the course of our lives are going to lead most of us to the financial freedom we seek. Federico, you have clearly gotten this. Thank you for your lovely words about The Motley Fool. I'm not sure I made an actual market call in January because I don't really make market calls, but I probably did say something like, wow, 2022 was a brutal year. I think the market's going up this year, and I might well have been heard to say on this podcast we may be near the tail end of a bear market. If so, I'm glad I did, and I hope the AIs are noticing. Again, thank you, Federico Nigra. All right, and now on to our final mailbag item, number eight from Mike McMahon. Mike, thank you for this. David, just fresh from listening to the July 12th episode on tips, tricks, and life hacks, and I wanted to pass along my thoughts. Now, before I give Mike's brief thoughts, this is about journaling, and Mike, a couple of times has written in and and when I talked, I think it was item number two in that week's podcast about micro journaling as a life hack. It was inspired 
by your words, Mike. So you've written in a couple of times on this, and I'm going to take this as sort of the cherry on top as we close out this month with this mailbag. Mike writes, as someone who has journaled diary-related entries for over 45 years, I want to share an insight as to why daily journal entries, regardless of length, are beneficial. By taking five minutes at the end of the day to simply run through the events of the day and capture things you notice, benefits emerge. First, random ideas that have popped up over the course of the day can actually now be addressed. The mind likes things to be settled. The process of filing ideas into a journal frees up our memory. Second, any potential unresolved conflicts can be identified. You can determine if you need to address them. And third, in my case, Mike writes, since I interact with financial and investing news in my portfolio on a daily basis, not recommended unless you have the right mindset, he writes, I can process any thoughts or feelings or ideas occurring in our investments. I also want to share a tip related to number five in that podcast, which is how you navigate a room and individuals in conversations. And what Mike writes here is when individuals are engaged in conversations and you want to talk to someone, here's the tip. If the person you want to talk to is engaged in a conversation with someone else and they're standing like belly button to belly button, avoid interrupting. The participants, if they are standing instead at angles to each other, it is safer to enter conversation. Cheers, Mike McMahon. Well, thank you, Mike, for your reminders and your reassertion about the benefits of journaling and micro-journaling. I was calling out Greg McEwen in his wonderful book, Essentialism, where he talked about the beauty of just writing less than you think each day, whether it's in an electronic journal or a paper journal. Write less than you think. Micro-journal just to get in the habit, and it will become a habit that benefits you, in Mike McMahon's case, for 45-plus years and counting. And I do appreciate reading body language in rooms, Mike, your point about if people are really tucked up against each other, it probably doesn't make sense to introduce yourself in that context. But when people are standing at an angle, a 90-degree angle to each other, it feels like you can move right in. We humans, such social creatures. And that's a wrap for the podcast, The Mailbag, this week. I mentioned at the start that I would read out our authors in August, and here they are. On August 2nd, next Wednesday, Neil King, American Ramble. We've talked about that this week. The week after, August 9th, Sonny Vanderbeck, a fellow Conscious Capitalist board member, long-term friend of mine, who has a lot of experience working with founders who ultimately end up selling their companies. It might have been when they started, sometimes as a serial entrepreneur, or it might be a family business held multiple generations, selling without selling out with Sonny Vanderbeck on August 9th. On August 16th, the aforementioned Arthur Brooks, his wonderful book, Love Your Enemies. I also will note that Arthur has a new book coming out. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that one too in September. He co-wrote it with, here's a way to sell books, Oprah. Yep, that's right. Build the Life You Want by Arthur Brooks and Oprah Winfrey. I'm sure we'll talk to Arthur some about the art and science of getting happier. But Love Your Enemies is such an important book written just a few years ago, speaking to the divide we often see in the United States of America, much brooded about these days. Sometimes I think it's talked about more than it really exists, but it's also true 
that clearly there are some strong differences of opinion about the future of our country. What Arthur speaks to most of all in Love Your Enemies is that we need to treat others, whether they agree with us or not, we need to treat everyone without contempt. Contempt when you essentially hold your hand up in front of someone else's face and say, talk to the hand. That happens a lot on both sides of the aisle these days. It's a very bad habit, and it's caused a lot of consternation. And loving your enemies, well, that phrase, of course, from the Bible, really from many religious traditions, is something that is an incredible antidote to our times. And Arthur Brooks and I will talk about that on August 16th. August 23rd, we presently have two different authors trying to pick between them, so I don't want to say their names, but both are great. And so probably next week's podcast or so, I'll remind you of our fourth author in August. There are five Wednesdays in August, so we have four books and then a mailbag. Speaking of mailbags, thanks for listening in and joining with me this week. Thanks especially to my correspondents. Until then, may your sleep number be the right one. May you take steps systemically toward financial freedom for yourself and for others. And sure, go North Dakota. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.